Psalm 32, a psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Father, we we thank you and praise you that you're moving in our midst. We see your Holy Spirit at work. And we just thank you for that, Lord. And even as Rich shared, the enemy does not want us to step out in faith. So he sows that little seed of fear. Because fear will neutralize faith. So Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit even this morning as we open your word. That we would have the mind of Christ. We would not allow fear to neutralize our walk. Father, I thank you for your word. As we look at your word this morning, these beautiful principles written over 3,000 years ago are still applicable today. They are so relevant today. So Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching and that each one of us individually will allow your Holy Spirit to touch and to guide and direct us individually as well as corporately in our marriages, our families, as well as corporately within our church. And we just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, here we find the second of the seven penitential psalms or a song of repentance, a song of repentance. And, and David wrote this psalm after he had committed, now this is King David, the man after God's own heart, after he had committed deception, adultery, and murder. You can find that story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, chapters 11 and 12. You see, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat reality. David knew God, David loved God, but as we're going to see, David let down his guard. And he did something that he thought he would have never have done. You see, it actually took place when David was roughly around 50 years old, that situation in those chapters. He obviously knew better than to do what he had done, but due to allowing his fleshly desires to dominate his life, he submitted to the enemy's tactics and gave in to sin. You see, David knew he needed forgiveness, and that's the key to Psalm 32 here. And it would only be forgiveness that could save his soul from the pain he had caused himself. Think about that. The pain he had caused himself. Which brings up some questions. How do I go about forgiving someone? How do I deal with my own need for forgiveness? And what if the other person is not showing any signs of repentance? Maybe that other person is actually gone. They've passed. But it's still affecting you, that lack of forgiveness. This is real. 3,000 years ago, for people to say the Bible is not relevant, they're not reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They're listening to somebody else say it's not relevant because it's totally relevant. 
But how do we first learn about forgiveness anyways? You know, as we think about this, as I was thinking about it, you know, it was probably a, a sunny day, and you, me, yes, you or me, we took something from someone, or you pushed someone down, or, or you said something that should not have been said, and an adult came along, most likely your dad or your mom, and they said the following. Now you go over there and say you're sorry. And of course, what did we do as obedient children? We looked up and said, no. No. I don't want to. And you call, and as the veins started to pop out, eventually your parents won and you did apologize after threats. But is that the same, here's the point, is that the same as acknowledging your sinful act and asking someone for forgiveness? You see, I think it's safe to say that most people deal with forgiveness with this mentality. I said I was sorry. I said I was sorry. How many of you have ever made that comment? Has anybody ever made that comment? The rest of you. (laughs) Liars. David, through yet another psalm, is going to show us what true repentance is all about. And I'd venture to say that that he said he was sorry to Bathsheba. To her family members, to his closest associates, to his children. But we actually need to ask for forgiveness from those we offend. You see, they're the ones who extend forgiveness. Just saying, I'm sorry. It's really not the end of the matter. I mean, it's a good thing to say, by all means, but it's not the end of the matter. And ultimately, confessing your sins to God needs to take place. But again, just saying you're sorry to God, it's really not the end of the matter. You see, James 5.16 says this. Confess your trespasses or your sins to one another. Accountability. This doesn't mean that you get up and you confess it to everybody in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, at the church. But you do have someone that you can hold yourself accountable to, that you can go to and say, you know what, I blew it and I need to ask for forgiveness. Or to that individual that maybe you offended. You need to go to that individual, not just say, I'm sorry, which is nice to say, but actually ask them to forgive you. Now, for that person who has already passed, you obviously can't do that. Or maybe they live in another area or a country and they could care less about you. Then you just have to go to the Father and ask for forgiveness from the Father and accept that forgiveness from the Father and move on. But at least you tried, at least you attempted. It is so important to ask for forgiveness. And James again here says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, David needed healing. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, this is not self-righteous but righteous, being right with God. And as I confess to God, as I confess to others, I'm going to be right with God, and I'm going to be right with others, even if others are not right with me, 
I at least did my part and asked for forgiveness. Not just saying I'm sorry, but putting the ball in the other court and saying, I need to ask for forgiveness. What I did to you was wrong. That will go miles in any relationship. And then we see 1 John 1, 9, where John writes, if we confess our sins, notice the, the first word, two little, two letter word, so important, if, if we, if I, make it personal, if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will do that. But it goes back to the very beginning of the verse. If, if. The responsibility lies with me. And so David here shows us, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or woman to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David starts off acknowledging God's grace. He didn't have the New Testament. He had the first five books of the Bible. He didn't have the whole Old Testament. Much of the Old Testament was written after David. But he is is describing God's grace. Well, how do I know that? Paul uses these verses in Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And he goes on to teach the believers that God's forgiveness is extended to everyone by faith, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile. You see, David here is expressing not only a biblical truth, God's forgiveness, that that is a truth, but that his relationship with God was about God's grace. God's grace. You see, David didn't deserve forgiveness. David couldn't earn forgiveness. David just needed it. He just needed it. So David goes on to say, blessed or or how happy is the person who has the grace of God abiding in their lives. Whose transgression, the word transgression here is interesting. It's revolt or rebellion. Revolt or rebellion. Now David didn't commit his sin with Bathsheba in an innocent manner. It was planned and performed in an open rebellion against God. David knew Uriah. Uriah was one of David's top 30 men. It's not like David picked a gal out of the city and said, oh, wow, look at her. David knew Uriah, which meant that David knew Bathsheba. That's very important to realize. And I don't think that David was shaking his fist at God in open rebellion. But David probably didn't even see it as open rebellion initially. But in the end, that's what came to the surface. In verses 3 and 4, when I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Notice that. Conviction of the Holy Spirit 3,000 years ago. Your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Think about that. You see, here we see the consequences of hidden sin. When you see someone that knows God, knows of his ways and knows right from wrong, you know, when you see that person, 
in a miserable state on a regular basis, it could be, it could be because they are trying to hide some type of sin. Now, as I say that, <laughs> you know, we won't, we don't want to take this to the extreme and become sin sniffers with everyone who's having a bad day. Okay, so we don't want to do that. But David Goat does give us a very vivid picture of a person who is in sin himself and trying to hide that sin from God. And notice the contrast in verses 1 and 2 and then 3 and 4. Because you and I, we know a thing about dryness, don't we, out here in this stinking heat? Thank God it's past. And on a hot day, there's nothing more refreshing than a glass of cold water. So get that picture of God's grace pouring forth into David's life. You see, he was hiding. He was hiding his sin from others. But he knew, this is relevant, he knew he couldn't hide it from God. That is so relevant to you and me. We can hide our sin from others. But we need to be mature enough to realize, I can't hide it from God. So why try? Let's just confess it and let's seek help to get over that, whatever that sin might be. Let's reach out to another brother or to another sister. Let's get accountability going. Let's get into Bible studies. Let's go deeper into the word of God from Genesis to Revelation and stop hiding and come into the light, wholeheartedly into the light. You see, God in his goodness sent Nathan the prophet to release David of his guilt. You see, God does use other people. Lovingly use other people. Now, there are idiots out there. I totally agree. I know that and I agree with you. But he does use people. And you might be afraid to open yourself up to somebody. So you have to go through a process. You have to build that relationship. But as you build that relationship, as you spend time building that relationship, you will find it so worthwhile. And here God sends Nathan the prophet to David and that released David of his guilt. And God poured forth his grace on the life of David. Nathan told King David, you should die. You deceived, you committed adultery, you committed murder. According to the law of God, you should die right here, right now, right today. But Nathan said, God is sparing you. God is sparing you. And why did God spare David? Because David was a man after God's own heart. David repented. And David wrote down for you and me that even in our 50s, we can make really poor choices that can affect a lot of people. And even Nathan said to David, David, this day you've given our enemies ammunition to use against our God. And they're going to blaspheme our God because of what you did. But Nathan also knew that David would repent because God knew that. So God is always willing to extend repentance to us. It's up to us whether we want to receive it or not. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. Notice that. First John 1, 9. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity 
of my sin. Now, David is writing this in hindsight because we know it was up to a year that David did hide his sin from man as well as from God because he just said it earlier. My bones were drying up. So it's not a contradiction. He's just able to look back and once he was confronted, once it came to light, he repented. He didn't try to justify it. Well, she was out bathing. I couldn't help myself. He didn't try to justify it. He just owned up to it and confessed it and got right with God. It's a great exhortation for you and I as well. Again, David acknowledged his sin to God first and foremost. How many people, you and I, how many people beat themselves up over their past sin, thinking that there is no way that God could forgive them? Read these chapters. God can forgive you if you repent. If I don't repent, if you don't repent, then there's no forgiveness. You see, David knew that God would forgive him. He was just too what? Too ashamed to come to God. You see, the word forgive here carries with it the idea of the scapegoat. Again, here's a chapter for you to read. Leviticus chapter 16. Please read Leviticus chapter 16. Because on the Day of the Atonement, there were many sacrifices, but there were specifically two goats that were brought to the high priest. One was sacrificed, and his blood was brought into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat. The other goat was used symbolically, and it was called the scapegoat. The high priest would place his hands upon that goat and confess the sins of the people, the whole nation, upon that goat. And then a man would take that goat out of the city, out of the area, and release it into the wilderness. Here's Leviticus 16.22. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Get that picture, guys. Forgiveness. So symbolically, you see, David knew this. This, this law was before David. So David knew this took place. So symbolically, you could see your sin leaving the area to never return. You see, David understood the depths of God's forgiveness. And it's hard to grasp because we have a tendency to hold on to things. Some people have really good memories. And it's amazing in an argument how good a memory they have. Because they bring it out. Well, I remember when. I remember when. I remember when. I remember when. And they they bring out the sin. How about all the good stuff? Do you remember any of the good stuff that's happened? At that moment in time, no, unfortunately. I just remember all the sin. And what we want to remember ourselves is that as we're accusing someone, if they have repented, if they have asked forgiveness of God, they've been forgiven. So we're now being used of the enemy, who is the accuser of the brethren, So we're now, as a believer, not on God's side, trying to draw someone into repentance, but we're now on the side of the enemy, actually accusing the forgiven one of past sin. Be very careful, those of you who have great memories. Be very careful how you use them. Because you can actually be placing yourself on the side of the enemy, accusing them of a forgiven sin. You see, in God's eyes, sin is missing the mark of perfection. 
And that sin needs to be confessed so that person might come into right standing with God. So how do we know when we should ask for sin? Or I mean forgiveness. How should we know when we should ask for forgiveness? You see, if we are sincerely seeking after God in His ways, the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin. Notice in verse 5 there, the Holy Spirit was convicting David of his sin 3,000 years ago. And so I, I just put this together. I've had this in my mind for years. I've written it down other times. It's conviction breeds repentance. This is very important for you and I. Because I'm going to show another slide later in a few minutes that's going to be the slide of the enemy. This is the slide of our God. So I encourage you to maybe take a picture of this or write it down. Memorize this. Because the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, never to accuse us of sin. you got to get that in your head. The Holy Spirit never accuses us of sin. He convicts us of sin. Because conviction breeds repentance. Repentance breeds reconciliation. Reconciliation breeds restoration. And restoration breeds life. It's a very simple process. You guys can look up those big words later on. But it's a very important process that you and I should go through. To have that new life brought into our lives. Verses 6 and 7. We'll leave it up there for a minute or two if you're writing it down. Verses 6 and 7. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. David here was not willing to drown in his own sin. He finally came to repent. And he drew close to God and he confessed his sin. And that's an example for you and me because God will deliver us from our sin. And will protect us from the enemy. Your soul, my soul will be relieved. And you and I will end up singing praises to the one who deserves all the glory. God, remember guys, this is a song. I mean, we're reading it as like a poem or a story. This is a song that David is singing here. He's singing praises and giving God the glory. You see, after David's confession, as you read the story, David went to the house of the Lord. He was free once again to worship the Lord in truth and in sincerity. You see, confession and forgiveness have such a tremendous cleansing power if we only allow it to happen. Don't be afraid to come to God. Don't be ashamed to come to God. Come to Him. He loves you. He cares for you. I will instruct you, verse 8, and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule. Now, we're very familiar with these animals out here in Queen Creek, aren't we? Which have no understanding. Uh, from my understanding, the brain of a horse is the size of a walnut. You guys can double check me on that, but it's the size of a walnut. That makes a lot of sense to me. Think about it, you'll know why. Which must be unharnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but you who trust in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in hearts. You see, David shares the wisdom that he learned through his sinful mistakes. And again, notice the great analogies that the Holy Spirit uses here. Don't be like that big rebellious horse. Speaking of you or me. 
or that stubborn mule. It's the rider who has placed the bit and bridle into the mouth that directs the beast. Now, I've never tried this. Maybe you have, but I've never put one in my mouth to chew on it. But I can imagine it's not too comfortable having a bit in your mouth. Pulling your cheek to the right or to the left in order to get you to go where the rider wants you to go. You see, that, that animal is hard to control without the bit because they're so stinking skittish. You know, they're big, but with a little plastic grocery bag floating in front of them, it will send them running. And it sounds a lot like sin as I think about it. Sincere believers are skittish. Sincere believers are skittish when they're about to sin or when they're in sin. Sorrows follow them and internally they're miserable. Notice I said sincere believers. Why do people not confess their sin? In my simplicity, I came up with this. So here's another slide. Condemnation breeds guilt. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is of the enemy. If you are feeling condemned, you have to make this distinction. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. If you feel condemned, you will feel guilty. Guilt breeds separation. Think about this even in your own life. You've offended someone and now you go out of your way to avoid that person. You delete their phone number out of your phone. You drive a different way to work. Whatever the case may be, you now avoid that person. Separation breeds isolation. I can't go out. It's amazing sometimes when people come into the, to the office and, and we'll have a counseling session, a discipling session, and they'll tell me something and they'll say, everyone in the church knows about it. I go, really? Everyone in the church knows about it? You know that many people? Who knows? G- give me the names. Who, who knows what, what happened? You see, the enemy has just convinced them, isolate yourself. Everybody knows. Point, everybody doesn't know. Everybody has a life. If you haven't put it on Facebook, they really don't care. They've got their own issues they're dealing with. So don't let the enemy get you into that mode of isolation. And isolation breeds what? Death. Death. And so this is very, very important for you and I to realize this and understand. David says what? When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. He was dying spiritually, physically. This can impact you and it can impact I physically. It does happen. So don't hide. Come into the light. Because I can imagine how joyful David was to be back into right standing with God. And knowing the expressiveness of David, he was probably shouting for joy. Proverbs 28.13 says this. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Isn't that a great proverb? That's for you and that's for I. Forsake your sin. Don't hang on to it. You see, once a believer confesses their sin, the mercy of God comes upon them and a thankful heart overtakes them. And that's what David is expressing to us right here and right now. 
having that thankful heart of God's grace and God's forgiveness. Psalm 33. We don't know when or why this was written. Uh, You'll notice that it's not even labeled a Psalm of David. We don't know exactly who wrote it. But in, in the Hebrew culture, they, they typically believe that as the Psalms followed each other, they would go back to the previous author. So many people will assign Psalm 33 to David. Don't know for sure. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Initially, it definitely sounds like David. Dave calls, David calls for the righteous to offer up praise. And for believers, Jesus is our righteousness. We no longer have to worry about the issue of making it into heaven. Do you guys know that billions of people today are thinking whether or not they're going to make it into heaven? Ask somebody. Feel free to ask somebody, are you going to heaven? And what is the most common reply? I hope so. And it's a, it's, it's a question mark at the end. I hope so. Well, why wouldn't you go to heaven? And all of a sudden they start listing the things. Or why should you go to heaven? Why should you not? And they'll start listing these things, do's and don'ts. Guys, we're going to heaven. You see, if nothing else positive ever happened in our lives from this day forward, if nothing else ever positive happened, we should still give praise to God for the simple fact that we are going to spend eternity with our loving Heavenly Father. But how, how easy it is for us to get caught up in the issues of this temporal life and lose perspective of that simple fact. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for the praise from the upright is beautiful. That word beautiful is suitable in the Hebrew. When you look it up, it's suitable. Guys, every day, every day, we should be excited about dying. We're going to be with Jesus forevermore. Now, we don't check out. And negate our responsibilities. But if somebody asks you, are you excited? I mean, people think I'm crazy. I did this the other day when I was at a store buying a new phone. I got a new phone. The gal thought I was crazy. But she had something tattooed on her arm. Her grandparents and an uncle were killed many, many years ago in an automobile accident. They were killed. And so it just opened up a door of opportunity. I just said, I'm excited about death. I'm going to heaven. I'm excited about going to heaven. She just politely smiled because that's their policy. Okay. Let's get back to the phone. (laughs) But guys, are you excited about it? You should be. If nothing else ever, ever, if nothing positive ever happens again for the rest of my life, I'm still going to heaven. I'm still going to heaven. You should be excited about it. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. But I like the old hymns. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. It's too loud. It's too soft. It's too fast. It's too slow. Get over it and worship the Lord. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Now we know that David used, he actually invented, as well as used musical instruments in his time of praise and instructs those who worship to make a loud, joyful noise. 
You see, when we visited the believers in Egypt, they didn't, have, they didn't always have musical instruments. Matter of fact, it was home churches, house churches. And so at times they had to be quiet because they were surrounded by Muslims. But they lifted up their voices and they sang with all of their hearts. Even if it was a toned down version, you could see it on their faces and their music time, just their music time. Because they were so thankful to know God, even though they didn't have anything. No windows in their windows. No shutters, no drapes. Concrete walls, concrete floors, concrete everything Second floor was for the family. First floor in some villages were for the animals. Those are the believers in Egypt. And they would sing for 45 minutes to an hour. And they would stand the whole time. And then they looked at us and said, what do you have for us? What do you have to share from us for the word? And we would share for an hour thinking, okay, that's going to be, no, no. Hour and a half. Oh, no, no. Two hours. Oh, yeah. Two and a half hours. They, they, they were, re- doesn't matter. We don't get schedule. We don't get a schedule. Keep teaching us. Keep going over the word. They were just ecstatic about the word of God and about other believers that would come to them from a faraway country in America that would spend time with them. I mean, it was like we were the most important people in their lives. And they treated us as such. It was amazing. They had feast. When they had nothing, because they would all bring something. And there would be a huge feast that we all partook of. And they were just so ecstatic to hand us a Coke. Would you like a Coke or a Sprite? And, and if you're not big on soda, you just take it. You don't want to insult them. So you, you just take it, because they're just ecstatic to give you this little bottle of Coke or Sprite. It's like they handed you a couple hundred dollars. They're just, they're just their love for Jesus. Guys, are we excited about Jesus that way? Are we excited because we've been forgiven, we have the grace of God, and we're going to heaven? I mean, it's amazing. Or do we like to whine instead? We find ourselves so often whining. You see, for David, it wasn't a show. And neither for the Egyptian believers, it wasn't a show. They were showing their appreciation for God. So what's the point? Why this point? You see, because it wasn't because they... It wasn't about social status. It was about God's word. God's word, we read right there, is right. The word of the Lord. Notice in verse 4 there, the word of the Lord is right. Guys, for you and me, 3,000 years later, or whenever this was written, at least 2,500 years later, the word of God is still right, even though society is telling it's wrong. It is still right. Are you and I willing to take a stand for rightness? Young people, are you willing to take a stand for what is right? Because somebody is wrong. Either we're wrong and they're right, or they're wrong and we're right. Somebody is right. And because we're standing on the word of God in love, we know that we are right and we can take the word of God to them. The word right here is con- is correct or fitting. And you see, when you and I, when we meditate on the word and evaluate our lives according to the word, you and I will find that all his works and anything that he might ask us to do are according to what? According to truth. Notice in verse 4 there, and all his work is done in truth for you and I. 
in truth, not in politics, but in truth. Notice he loves righteousness and justice. You see, Jesus taught his disciples this principle over and over again. And you probably have this verse memorized that Jesus prayed the night before his crucifixion. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Well, what's the truth? You know, that's your truth. What's my truth? It's very simple. The word, your word is truth. Let's forget the nonsense of your truth and my truth. Let's go to the truth. What does the truth stay, say? And as we just stick in the truth, we will arrive at the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's an interesting contrast between this statement and a statement that Jesus made earlier on in his ministry to the religious elite. Listen to John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus speaking to the religious elite. Nice way to address them. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Interesting. You see, even in our songs, verse 3 there, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. Even in our songs, there should be truth. And as we sang those songs this morning, guys, I hope you realize there was a lot of truth in those songs. A lot of truth. And if we are filling our minds with music that is not truthful, really want to make this point, because music has a heavy influence on all of us. If we are filling our minds with music that is not truthful, it's just as bad as going to a church where the teacher isn't teaching the truth, whether that's in Sunday school, from the pulpit, or youth group, wherever it might be, it's just as bad. You and I, we need to fill our minds with the truth. Our musical worship needs to be based upon the truth in the church as well as out of the church. Verses 6 through 9, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So now David is going to speak of creation, and that God's voice spoke this into being. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Not evolution, creation. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep In storehouses, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. You see, there's been for many years now this encouragement to seek out yourself, seek your inner self. This age-old philosophy of finding one's inner self doesn't work in the real world, but finding God does. See, try to encourage people with that nice-sounding garbage in foreign lands that are suffering at the hand of political leaders. Find your inner self and you'll be happy. You know, try to sell that nonsense to those who are dying of salvation because of the years of war. It just doesn't work. But finding God always works no matter what the circumstances a person may find themselves in. You see, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart are to all generations. 
even in guys, even in the midst of your trials or tribulation, you always want to remember God has a plan. God has a plan. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And this is a fact. Very happy are the people who have God at the center of their nation. And this was us. This was us. Until the early 60s, we took prayer out of school and the Bible out of school. And statistically, you can do your own research on this. Statistically, everything has gone haywire since the early 60s. Yes, there were problems before. It's gone through the roof since 63, 64. Do your own research. It's gone through the roof. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his, the place of his dwelling, he looks on the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. Notice the intimacy of God. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. The Egyptians were, they had, there were nothing for God. The Assyrians, the Philistines. No king is saved by a multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horde is, a horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who reverence him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hoped in you. Just as we hoped in you. As the music team comes up, you see, every, at the end of the day, guys, when everything is all said and done, you and I were called to wait upon our God. To wait upon our God. And here we see whoever wrote this, it's a great way to close a psalm. Our soul, notice our, not my, but the congregation. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Do you see the congregation here? It's the congregation. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. You see, their trust and their hope was in the living God. And again, it was just a phenomenal way to end the song. The song. And so as the music team is setting up, what I'd like us to do is all stand and let's read these verses together. And we've got a slide for the verses because obviously it wouldn't sound too good with everybody doing their own version. But as we've thought about these things, guys, as we know we are going to heaven, we need to proclaim God's goodness. And our nation is not one nation under God. I mean, that's reality. But we as a body of believers can say we are a flock under God. And we want to serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want to thank all the volunteers in Sunday school and with the youth and those who clean and just all the various things, all the ministries that are going on because we have a flock that really loves Jesus and that really wants to serve the Lord. But again, guys, we can't become complacent. And we have to be careful in these days we're living in that we don't become comfortable and say, well, you know, I, I did my part. I did my part. No, it's today. It's today. How are we surrendering today to the will of the Lord? How are we seeking God today? How can I allow the Holy Spirit to transform my life today? 
because of what he has done for me through grace. Let's read these verses together and just, you know, read it out loud, guys. Proclaim it. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Father, we thank you and praise you. That, that, that is our answer, Father. We truly do hope in you. This government is not going to save us. The school board is not going to save us. Psychology is not going to save us. Humanism, religion, it's not going to save us. Only you, God, our Father, who is in heaven, you have saved us. And Lord, no matter what happens from this day forward, you have saved us. Help us to lift our eyes and to give you the praise you so deserve. Father, help us to have thankful hearts throughout this day. Whatever comes our way, help us to realize that people are watching, that people are listening. Are we excited about you? Are we excited about eternity? Are we willing to share about your goodness and your faithfulness to a dying world who has no hope? Father, lift our eyes. Help us to confess if confession needs to be made. That we would not isolate or separate, but we would be reconciled. We would be restored. We'd be gathering more often to encourage and strengthen one another in the faith. Lord, we pray for the ladies' Bible study that you would bless that many, many women would come out, young and old, to encourage and strengthen one another in the faith. These wicked days we're living in, Father. May the women gather to exhort and encourage one another. Father, may we pour into our youth like never before. Lord, raise us up to, to pour into the young to pour into the junior high, to pour into the high school, to, to meet the college and career, to encourage them and strengthen them, that they would have a hope of eternal life. For we see things are quickly fading away on this side of heaven. Your son said, look up when these things take place. Look up, for I'm calling you home soon. Father, help us to look up even this morning in whatever state we find ourselves in. Help us to look up, to grow up, to give you the praise you so deserve. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Amen. It's great to be able to proclaim the truths of scripture as a whole, the body of Christ. We're family here. And we're, let's proclaim these truths. Greater is he that's living in me. He's conquered our enemy. No power of darkness, no weapon prevails. We stand here in victory, not in our own selves, but the victory that Christ has already won.
Sing power that can calm the raging sea. Sing. 